from our SAGE A team for, for what's happening, our, this agricultural market garden that's happening adjacent to the school that we helped build and uh, excited about feeding that uh, village, that region, and helping them be trained in, in farming. Uh, and we just know that's gonna impact lifetimes, like generations, it's, it's that kind of uh, significant. And we also want to do stuff here in our neighborhood. And I want to tell you, just uh, a few weeks ago, Angel and I, my wife, were able to attend the Share Family and Community Gala that they had uh, here in Coquitlam. And uh, they had a fundraiser. And we, on behalf of Hillside, were able to make a donation of $2,500 out of our surplus from last year and as, uh, out of our 20th anniversary fund to support their very good work. And this week, we received a, a letter of thanks and a picture and I thought I would share that with you. That's, uh, yeah, that's a big check right there. Um, let me read it to you. On behalf of all of us at SHARE, our volunteers, and all of those we serve, I'd like to express a heartfelt thank to you, Pastor Derwin Gray, and the entire congregation of Hillside Community Church for your generous ongoing support of our work. With your help, we are able to assist close to 60,000 members of our community who are in need of services, support, or resources. This might include assessing, accessing our food bank to help feed a family, to provide counseling for kids struggling with bullying at school, to support youth battling with addiction issues, to assist a family fleeing violence in their home country to settle successfully in their new community, or to support our search, or our speech, I should say, physical, and occupational therapists with the tools they need to help children with developmental dis disabilities or delays say their first word or take their first steps, and so much more. The need in our community is broad and great. At SHARE, we are committed to always being there to lend a hand, give a hug, and help people and families connect, engage, and strengthen themselves and those they love. Thank you so much for partnering with us and choosing to invest in our community. So very good, good thing. And so thank you, Hillside. And on their behalf, I know they're thrilled that we're partnering with them. Uh, as far as I know, we're the only church uh, that is partnering with them in this way. And so it's great to have a presence with them and, and to support truly the awesome work that SHARE does on behalf of those in need in our community. They do amazing things. And so if you have a chance to, to, to cheer them on, please do. On to our message for this morning. We're in, a six, we're in week six of a seven-week series where we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. Things Jesus said where we started out on Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. We went on to hear him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. Great words. The last couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at the good news that where Jesus said, I am am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And then last week, we had Graham walk us through, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger or ever thirst. And I don't know about you, but I hadn't had breakfast that morning, and all I heard all morning was bread, 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 and I left here really hungry. And it was tragic in the second service because normally we have bread to give out after the service. We actually ran out of bread and people were really disappointed. You could see it in their faces. It was so tragic. And I, I had to turn to them and say, well, this isn't the bread that will never run out. Jesus is the bread that will never run out. There you go, folks. Um, today we'll broadly be looking at the I am statement that Jesus makes in John 10, 9, where he says, for I am the door, for I am the gate, whoever enters 
through me will be saved. Just a little background. These seven statements are all found in the Gospel of John, as I've said. And it's helpful to understand John, when he was writing his Gospel, he wasn't writing, he, he was actually, wasn't writing a reporter's account of what happened in the life of Jesus. His primary concern wasn't, this is exactly what happened, this is exactly when it happened, this is exactly, you know, what was said. Uh, what John really wanted us to know is what did Jesus' life mean? You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written by the time John wrote his gospel, and they read very, very differently than John, a lot of different material. So he wasn't trying to duplicate these other accounts. One of his primary concerns is that we would understand what Jesus' life means. And, and one of the major premises of the gospel of John is that Jesus, in Jesus, God had come to us in human form, in human flesh, that God walked among us to show us that he is, that he exists, to show us what he's like, to show us the claim that he has on our lives, to show us how to live, and, and to show us what love is like. So the invisible God is made visible in, in Jesus. This is a major premise of, of John. The second major premise is that when you trust in Christ and follow Christ, you have light, life in his name. But John's major premise, major question he wants to answer is just who is this Jesus? And this is not a small question when, come, when it comes to the Christian faith. You might say this is the question when it comes to the Christian faith. And it's a question Bono, the lead singer of U2, was asked uh, a couple of years ago, not too far back. And uh, let's listen to his response to this most important question. illness so, or so whatever? So then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said... He was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God, or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think... therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. <clears throat> yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, I've no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Yeah. Pretty thoughtful interview. And, and uh, actually this week, uh, Bono, <clears throat> there was a video released of Bono and Eugene Peterson being interviewed together. A little mini documentary on Bono's love for the Psalms. 
and Eugene Peterson's. Uh, so I, it, it was one of my favorite singers, favorite authors, together in a video. I was in my happy place. That's all I can say. But Bono gets to the point when he says, I don't think we're let off easily by saying Jesus was just a great thinker, philosopher, teacher, good man, all those things, because he went around making audacious claims about himself. Son of God, Messiah, claims that were outrageous enough to actually get him killed, crucified. And Jesus does this in his I am statements. He, he wasn't, I mean, these are incredible things he was claiming about himself. He wasn't just saying, I am a light in the world. As I've said before, he said, I am the light of the world, the whole world. In our passage today, he doesn't say, just say, I am a door. He says, I am the door to salvation. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Or John 14, which you've already looked at, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus' disciples would go on to repeat these claims. Uh, in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested because they've actually healed a man. I think it's an interesting thing to be arrested for but they are, they're put in prison, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin and, and questioned about the power through which they were able to heal this man. And Peter responds with these famous words. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then Peter goes on really to give us a paraphrase of these two I am statements we find in John 10 and John 14. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. He's saying, I, I am the door, I am the way, salvation is found in no one else. And these are scriptures I want to lift up to you today as we think about how to respond to a hard question often asked of us Christians. Just who do you think you are? How do you know you're right? Can all of these other religions in the world be wrong? Isn't this one of the biggies? It, it comes in, in all kinds of forms to us, but it's the kind of question all Christians need to have an idea about how to answer because people around us are asking this question. And some of you might consider yourself a, <clears throat> a Christian, but it's a, a question you've been asking. What do we do with this incredibly exclusive claim of Jesus? <laughs> um, some of you would be familiar with uh, comic strips. Do you remember when newspapers used to come to our door back in the day? It seems like a long time. It was like five years ago. But we used to get newspapers. You get a Saturday paper. You get Sunday comics. Um, my, my favorite comic by far was Calvin and Hobbes. I loved Calvin and Hobbes. But I really loved uh, Hagar the Horrible as well. Hagar the Horrible being this great Viking character. I like this one on the screen. Hagar the Viking is saying... We've got to work on our battle cry. Shouting, you all have cooties, doesn't really scare the enemy. <laughs> but in another comic, uh, Hagar gives this kind of ironic advice to his son. He says, my son, always respect and honor the other, other fellow's point of view, unless, of course, it's different than yours. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, some people who are asking these, these tough questions of Christians might be thinking back, they might re be reflecting back on some experiences where they were put down by Christians, or they saw Christians in an arrogant or, or judgmental light. I, I can think back with some genuine regret to some, my latter days in high school. I was a new Christian, and, and I went to grade 13, and in my grade 13 English class, 
we had these grand debates about God, and I argued passionately, and I would say proudly, uh, about my beliefs. And, and uh, I don't think I was all that charitable in my arguments. And, and I look back with that with some regret. So let me begin this morning by saying I, by what I hope we are not. I hope we are not a people who are intolerant and, and judgmental of the beliefs of, beliefs of others who disagree with us, carrying an attitude of snobbery or, or superiority. I hope we're not anti-intellectual, you know, unwilling to kind of grapple and think about things and, and being a w- willing to reason respectively with others who have questions about our faith. So in order first to, to begin this discussion, to answer this question, begin first by building relationships with people, not shying away from, from sharing about faith issues, but do it in ways, I'd say, that, that offer genuine respect to others. I mean, this is... This is Peter's desire. I mean, he puts this out here. I mean, Peter, bold, brash guy, he's the one who tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But even Peter says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. When the Holy Spirit got ahead, a hold of Peter's life, he became, I believe, a gentle and respectful man. And we see him encouraging us in our, in, in our relationships with others. Let's be gentle and respectful. This morning, let's dive into the question, can every other religion be wrong? First of all, neither Christians nor the Bibles say that every other religion are completely wrong. Uh, Listen to this passage from the book of Romans. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Scripture teaches that that many people in many places in in many cultures have responded to the glimmer of the creator shining through his creation. And many have have then structured or organized their religions to pursue that revelation. Um, When we were in Sri Lanka last last year, uh, one of my sons and I walked through an elaborate Hindu temple and it was actually, we were walking through as one of their services was in progress. And it's, we have, uh, in the Catholic tradition, we have the Stations of the Cross. And I would say they have something kind of their own similar stations. And their worship services are not, you don't sit in a seat, you actually move throughout the temple. Now, we weren't part of the service. We were just kind of making our own way. But we were able to observe what they were doing. And I could not help but respect them for the energy and the effort and the creativity in which they were seeking to reach out to the divine. They're responding to this inkling that there must be more. Paul goes on to say God has given all human beings also a conscience that that points towards himself and his law. He says in Romans 2, he says, Indeed, when Gentiles, that that, that would be his way of saying they're non-believers, who do not have the law, who do not have the Bible, who do not have Scripture, but they do by nature things required by the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. What he's saying is that all human beings have a, a conscience, a built-in wiring and sensitivity to that there is a right and, and, and a wrong. Um, Comedian Stephen Wright went as far to say as a clean conscience is usually sign of a poor memory. 
But these are both these things, these are both what theologians call the general revelation of God, part of the way God makes himself known to everyone through creation and through our own, own consciences. And so you'll find that many religions have similar values. For example, the care and protection of, of children, uh, that of, of faithfulness in marriage. Most religions actually prohibit adultery. Not all, but, but most religions promote compassion for the poor. For years, uh, we lived next door, or a few doors down, actually, from a, a wonderful Muslim family, and, and they were extremely generous to us. They would ve- very frequently drop in with, with gifts of food. And anytime there was some kind of religious festival in their, in their tradition, they would drop over with food and, and want to share that tradition. And I, 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 I remember them with a special fondness because they're one of the ways I know that God really loves me, is especially fond of me, I think. Because one day we're sitting there and we're having lunch with Angel's cousin is visiting us and we're talking about foods that we enjoy. And I said, you know what, right now I think my number one food is is this Indian dish called biryani. I love biryani. And and I no sooner got the words out of my mouth than a doorbell rings and we open the door and there's this lady, our neighbor, with a plate of biryani. (laughs) Which is like skywriting. I really love you, Derwin, and I want to make you happy. <laughs> That's what I, I read out of it. But they would, uh, they would frequently invite us into their home. And by the way, that's another thing we share with their religion is that, that, the, that virtue of hospitality. And they'd often bring us into their home. And we'd have fascinating discussions about our faiths. And I found that in our talk about our beliefs we shared a lot of common moral ground. We agreed about a lot of things. C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, uh, Mere Christianity, he writes something that captures, I think, both sides of the issue and, and somewhat what of the tension that we have concerning this question. He says this. He says, if you are a Christian, you are free to think that all those religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. He said, when I was an atheist... Uh, I had to persuade myself that most of the human race has always been wrong about the questions that mattered to the most. When I became a Christian, I was was able to take a more liberal view. He goes on to, to talk about the other side of it, though. He says, but of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, and all the other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. Now, now a good many people would take issue with C.S. Lewis today. They'd say in math, there is only one right answer. but, But in everything else, in ethics, in morality, in religion, in spirituality, there can be no right answer because there is kind of no final truth out there. It's even possible. This is a a very simplified description of what has become uh, to describe our day, postmodern, postmodernism. That's that's a word we we hear a lot of. And in the modern era, truth was out there, as they used to say in the X-Files. It was out there. Given enough time, human beings would find the truth. They could discover the truth eventually. In the postmodern era, the, the dominant idea is that there is no absolute truth out there that explains everything. Rather, there's, there's only pieces of truth based on personal 
you know, individual experiences, subjective experiences. And if that's the case, who are, who are you to say that your truth is any better than my truth? Everyone's truth is equal. You've all heard the story of the, the blind men and the elephant. Uh, one, one blind man feels the tusk and he says, the elephant is like a sharp spear. And another uh, blind man grabs a hold of the trunk and says, oh, the, the elephant, is, it's like a snake. And another blind man grabs a hold of the, the, tr- the, the, the leg and says, oh, the, the elephant is like a, a tree. And another one grabs the side and says, it's like a wall, and so on. The story is often told as an example of how each world religion encounters only a, a small part of God or a small part of reality. Unlike C.S. Lewis's math analogy, no one can claim to have the right answer because everyone's answer is really only partly right. Everyone touches only a, a small part of the elephant. And honestly, this kind of approach actually feels really good in our pluralistic world where, where we encounter people of other religions all the time. We're bumping into this time and time again, and we just love to just get all get along. We'd all like to agree. A few years ago, Tiger Woods uh, was put on the spot uh, by a Christian during an a outing for top golf executives. And during lunch, there was a, a Q&A where people asked Tiger all kinds of questions, questions mostly to do with golf. But one rather bold guest stood up and asked Tiger this, Tiger, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, would you? And Tiger would go on to give what I'd call a very postmodern answer. He said, my father was a Christian, of course. Christianity was part of my life. But my mother is Asian, and so Buddhism was also part of my life. So I practice both faiths respectfully. Now, with respect to, to Tiger, I challenge his <laughs> assumption that it would be even possible to practice those two faiths respectively, giving respect to both of those religions, especially when many of their their core beliefs absolutely contradict each other. You see, well-meaning people have concluded there's no ultimate truth. If we all just agree, religions are all equally true, all these conflicts will go away. All religions are just kind of holding a different piece of the elephant. All different religions are just different paths up the same mountain. But, But when you look a little closer, this view is quite obviously illogical. Take, for example, the whole idea of God. In Buddhism, there is no God at all. There's only a, a path of enlightenment to, to reach nirvana, this state of total nothingness, a loss of desire. In Hinduism, there's no personal God, for Brahma is an impersonal cosmic force of the universe. God and the universe are one. You're God. I'm God. Uh, the chair's God. The piano is God. Right? But isn't it illogical to believe that that religions with a personal God, like Judaism and Islam and Christianity, and then religions that have, uh, you know, uh, deny any personal God, like Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, can, can exist together, can be equally true? You know, a personal deity either exists or it doesn't. Someone's got to be wrong. Take another example from this passage in Hebrews. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. An absolute core 
conviction of Christians is the deity and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was not only a messenger, but God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. And, and whether it be Buddha or, or Muhammad, many world religions have key prophets. And they could agree with the first part of that passage, the first part of the verse. But no other world religion has the audacity to claim that their prophet is God in the flesh. The, the, the Jewish faith doesn't accept this. It's the height of blasphemy to the Jew. Uh, obviously, Islam doesn't accept this. The fact that, that Allah, who is distant and aloof from the world, would, would enter the world and then die as a human being is an offensive idea to the Muslim. And these aren't inconsequential differences. No, they're fundamental. Either Jesus is God in human flesh or he's not. Someone must be wrong. Or take the idea of salvation from different religions. Satanists, for example, accept that there is a God, but they seek salvation through Satan, what you'd call God's antithesis. So could a religion that, that, that believes in salvation through God and a religion that believes in salvation through Satan, God's opposite in every way, simply be two paths meeting at the summit of the same mountain? Finally, consider the basic premise of most world religions. Do these works. Follow this way of life and you'll gain favor with God. Christianity is 180 degrees different, for it says there are no works you can do to achieve salvation. Just, just trust God. Ask for forgiveness and it's yours for free. Most world religions say do this. Christianity says it's been done for you. In, in most religions, you'll never know, you, you can't know if you've done enough to earn God's favor. Only Christianity says that morality and goodness is not the way. For example, uh, Buddha says, I'm not God, look, uh, you know, look to my teaching. If you just live a good life, that'll be enough. On the other hand, you see Jesus who says, don't look to my teaching. He says, look to me. Buddha says, I'm not God, I'll show you the way to God. Jesus says, I'm, I'm God, come to you. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be moral enough to, to reach God. I've come to live the life you should have lived. I've come to die the death you should have died to, to pay for your sins. See, Buddha says, this is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, I'm God, come to you. Only Christianity offers an assurance of salvation based on what God has done, not us. Can both perspectives be equally true? Somebody's got to be wrong. Some of you would know the, the band, The White Stripes, and years ago, their lead singer, Jack White, made a fairly astute observation. This is what he said. He said, I see God as knowing only one truth, and that's it. There's no other opinion about it, and I want to know what that one truth is. He says, everyone can sit around and have their manly and earthly thoughts about things, opinions about things, but I, about, I, I doubt that there's much debate going on in heaven. And again, it's very postmodern. It's, it's very Canadian to want everyone to be right. But in, in light of common sense, we can't all be right. Which leads to the second question. How do we know we're right? How do we know? I'd have to say we can't know in any ultimate sense until we die. That may sound odd coming from a preacher, but it's true, so I better own up to it. Um, only one person has come back from the dead to tell the world the final truth. And, and on his return, 
in his response to Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call it, Jesus replied, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And ever since following him has been a matter of faith, not certain knowledge. And, and faith can never finally be proved. You know, it can only be shared. When someone asks, how do you know you're right? The best thing we can do is share our own faith story. For me, I have a faith story leading up to a, a moment at a youth camp where I placed my life in the hands of Jesus. And since then, I've had more experiences to confirm in my heart and in my mind and my soul that God is real, that God's love for me is real, that the, the Bible is a reliable word from God of what I need to know about God and what I need to know about my own life and how to live. And I found that when I use the reason and the logic that God has given me, that the biblical worldview when compared to competing worldview makes, worldviews make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I have intellectual reasons why my faith makes sense. And it's, a, it's faith, but I would say it is a reasonable faith. Uh, Australian author and apologist uh, John Dixon put it this way. He says, the central claims of Christianity are to a degree testable. You can apply the normal tests of history and find that we do in fact possess exactly the sort of evidence you would expect if the core of the Jesus story is true and decidedly more evidence than you would expect if the story were fabricated. So when someone asks you, how do you know you're right? Well, I have my own story and I have my own reasons to share and hopefully so do you. Um, and if you want to consider, and I, and I challenge you in this area, if you haven't thought through the reasons for the Christian faith, this is usually an important thing to grapple with. Uh, our faith does get tested, and it's helpful to know that there are, are good reasons that, that thoughtful people have thought of these things. And so I want to commend some books to you. Um, Timothy Keller is a pastor in uh, secular, secular New York City. And he's become very accustomed to answer these type of questions. And he does so in his book, The Reason for God. Anyone re read that book? Very thoughtful, thoughtful book. And I would commend that to you. Uh, good read and probably the contemporary uh, top of the list on this topic. Lee Strobel um, was a crime investigative reporter when something terrible happened to him. His wife became a Christian. He thought it was terrible. And uh, it rocked his world. And he actually went to church with her a little bit, but he thought, this is, this is probably one of those, this is the beginning of divorce proceedings, the fact that she's become a Christian. So what he did was someone challenged him and said, take your investigative skills and investigate Jesus. And he went on a journey where he basically investigated these claims and found that there was enough, enough evidence for the truth of Christianity. And so he began, became a Christian, and he's written some great books. Uh, a couple that I'd recommend would be The Case for Faith, and the case for Christ, both, uh, both good books. Of course, there's a classic, uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, which uh, even though it was written um, like 70 years ago, uh, is still one that people are finding uh, a lot of good out of. So I want to encourage you to consider that as a book you could read as well. But these are resources to consider the evidence for Christianity. And let me say this as well. I hope that we are becoming the kind of community, the kind of group, the kind of people where it will be a safe place for us to journey together on these questions, these big questions. Uh, that if you're maybe a little bit like Thomas and you go, I just don't know, I'm just not sure, that we're the kind of place where 
you can come here and you can attend Sunday after Sunday and you know that you have a warm welcome and that we would be happy to answer questions and we'd be happy to wrestle with these things with you and point you to resources like these and, and, and uh, discuss those questions. We want to um, be as helpful as we can. We know uh, this faith journey is a journey and I don't know where you are in that journey, but you may be in a place where you're not quite there yet, where you've accepted and trusted Christ and we would want to help you uh, wrestle with those questions thoughtfully. In an ironic way, I'd say we're in an incredible season of opportunity here in Canada. Um, I keep bumping into people. I, I, on one hand, it seems like there's this great hostility to the Christian church in Canada right now. And in some senses, there is. On the other hand, there's, there's great indifference. People could care less what's going on in local church. But I keep bumping into people that are, are still looking out at creation and saying there's mu there must be more. There must be more. <laughs> They're wanting to figure it out. They still have those spiritual yearnings. I, I keep bumping into people who are drawn to Jesus. And that gives me great hope. It, it, it means to me that the, the more Jesus-centered we become as a church, the healthier we will be and the more attractive we will be to our community and to our neighborhood. And so that is one of our great challenges this morning is to continue to keep Jesus as our focus uh, I, I think uh, David Wood was up here a few in our Christ and Culture class. And if you want more information on this topic of other religions, please listen to that podcast. You can get it on our website. But, but he talked about these questions are, we're, we're, not, we're wanting to be alongside each other, pointing them to Jesus, not trying to win an argument. Point them to Jesus. That's one thing. I, I would also say the cultural environment we're in where it, there is some hostility um, we want to win them over with love. <laughs> we want to win over our community with love. And so we want to get involved with the, the, the great organizations like SHARE. We want to go to places like SAGE, far off places that are untouched by the love of God. And we want to show the world our love in those ways. But I also would say in the way we speak and the way we relate to others, we want to do it with great humility and with a desire to listen and a desire to serve. A, a desire to engage with others in a thoughtful and respectful way. Where we're talking right now, they, they've introduced a new alpha course. And uh, we're, our elders are really talking and dreaming and scheming about offering an alpha course this fall. And what we love about the alpha course, it's, it's not about cramming anything down anyone's throat. It's kind of a, just a safe environment for people to journey together and walk through together and, and, and explore Christianity together. And I hope you'll be praying and thinking as we hope to, to launch this this fall. Maybe you can be involved in serving. We'll need lots of people to make it happen. But I would also say, um, start be praying and thinking about those friends and neighbors and people that are in your life who you might be able to invite into that story, into that connecting point. We'd, we'd love you to, for you to do that. Well, let me sum things up for you this morning. If you believe that ultimate spiritual truth does exist in the universe, that real truth for everyone is out there, then then Jesus was either right and correct when he said, I am the gate, and when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or he wasn't. It can't be both. We can't say, well, well this is true for me, but it may not be true for you. And, and as Bono said, this is not something that we claim about Jesus. This is something that Jesus claims for himself. And, and maybe for you this morning, some of you, this, this claim Jesus is making a claim where he says, I am, I am God, I've come to show you the way to God, I, I am life, I am the way to life, and you're hearing this, 
And you just have a sense that this is an invitation for you this morning to say yes, to, to, to walk through that door that is Christ, to walk into that life that he has for you. And, and you don't have to, to jump through hoops to, to earn God's favor. You, you just have to believe and trust and be willing to put your life in God's hands, in Christ's hands. This may be the morning where you choose to bravely, I would say, trust Jesus and who he is and what his life means and give your life to him. Uh, maybe for some of you this morning, you have a different need today and you need to get some New Testament boldness in you. Gentleness and respect, yes, but a willingness to be like Peter and John when they were in a tight spot they were willing to share their faith. They were willing to say, it is, it is Jesus of Nazareth by, by which this man was, was transformed. It's, it's Jesus of Nazareth who tra- changed my life, and I found that there's life in his name, and I believe, honestly, that there's no salvation found in any other name than in his. And I, I sense that this morning, God may want to make you bold in Christ so that you might share this good news with our world. I'm going to invite uh, Lincoln up, and he's going to, lead us in a closing prayer and closing songs. And he's even writing the last words of his prayer, even now. Come on up. Sorry. Yeah, let's pray. Father God, Brother Christ, Holy Spirit, we as a community want to grow in our capacity to submit to you, Lord. Uh, the, The whole reason we've been studying these I am statements is because we want to know you. As a community, we we recognize that we desperately want and we desperately need to understand you more. We want to know you. And knowing you to love you. and, And loving you to follow you. And following you to serve you. Serving you to work with you, alongside you in submission to you, to bless the world that you made and its people whom you so deeply love. So continue, I pray. Continue your work of transforming our hearts and our minds to know truth, to be more like you, to the glory of your name, that more might know you, that more might enter through the gate to the glory of your name. Amen. You thought of us before the world began to breathe. You knew our names before we came to be. You saw the very day would fall away from you. How desperately 
to receive prayer, um, come forward and, and pray. If, you, if, if any of these things um, that we've talked about today are, are things that you want to talk about or if you have questions about it, um, I know you can talk to Derwin, talk to me. Uh, there are a number of people around here that you could feel free to talk to if you, if you have any questions about those kinds of things. Um, and there are refreshments at the back too, coffee. Um, 
But for now, please remain standing and receive the benediction. As you go from this place, may the God of all grace grant you this grace. That you might go in all wisdom, in all strength, in all humility, in all power to the glory of his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.